This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 6, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Liz Truss is the new UK Prime Minister. Who is she? What should we expect as she attempts to grapple with some of the major challenges facing the UK in the coming months? Cato's Ryan Bourne comments. Americans probably aren't super crystal clear in general on the process of selecting a new prime minister. What does that process look like? Well, it's been a pretty torturous process, and I think most people involved in UK politics are are sick of it at this stage. Basically, what happened earlier on in the summer is that um, over a number of weeks, conservative members of parliament, in essence, forced Boris Johnson uh, to resign. A lot of them called for him to, to leave a lot of backbench members of parliament, and then Um, After that pressure ramped up, there were a number of high-profile resignations from his cabinet, which made his position um, untenable. Now, what that did is triggered a process within the Conservative Party to find a new leader. So first and foremost, you're trying to find a new leader for the party, who then, as the leader of uh, the majority in Parliament, uh, can form a government with them as Prime Minister. Um, So the way that essentially that worked is anybody... Uh, within the MP cohort could put themselves forward. 11 people declared. They needed a certain number of supporters to be ultimately nominated. Eight went forward to the nomination. And then uh, they went through successive rounds of voting uh, just of um, conservative MPs with the lowest uh, person in each round, the lowest candidate in each round eliminated, and then a fresh vote. So in essence, you could kind of cycle your votes to different candidates after each round. Now, once that got to two remaining candidates, um, uh, that then set a runoff uh, with the uh, ultimate vote determining who would uh, succeed in this, uh, determined by Conservative Party members, ordinary Conservative Party members throughout the whole country. So that process has been what's gone on in the last uh, seven or eight weeks. Now, who is Liz Truss? Uh, Liz Truss is, uh, at this stage, quite an experienced uh, female uh, politician in the UK. She's been trade secretary. She's been uh, chief secretary to the Treasury. She's been foreign secretary, so uh, kind of Britain's representative for foreign policy. Um, she uh, She's a 47-year-old who, um, uh, before she went into government, uh, was very active in forming a cohort uh, amongst conservative backbench MPs called the Free Enterprise Group, uh, trying to push for uh, restrained public spending, um, low and simple taxation, um, uh, you know, proportionate um, pro-market kind of regulation. So she's always been uh, quite an overt free marketeer and quite outspoken in favour of pro-market policies, even within government. And she decided to run this time, and now she's been kind of victorious and will become the new prime minister. How do uh, prime ministers, you know, obviously uh, Liz Truss has been an MP and uh, is at least on paper and with her spoken words, fairly conservative. How does that change once you become prime minister? Because it seems like it happens almost every time. Yeah, to a certain extent, I mean, to win this election, you've got to uh, win the votes of ordinary conservative members. And then when you're prime minister, you're prime minister of the whole country. So naturally, you kind of uh, moderate in the the tones that you speak in. But one of the things that she said is that she will govern as a conservative. That said, you know, the, the UK Conservative Party is a bit different to 
um, people who would self-describe as conservative, say, here within the Republican Party. Uh, she was recently asked a question on um, the abortion issue, for example, and whether she would um, allow the people of Northern Ireland to determine their own uh, abortion policy. And she rejected that outright and said, no, you know, I, I believe in the existing policy and I believe it should be the same uh, throughout the UK. So there isn't that degree of social conservatism uh, that you perhaps see in, in the US. Uh, but certainly the way that she's spoken about a whole range of things on the economic side has been fairly traditionally Thatcherite, uh, at least in tone. You know, we can argue about some of the details um, over taxation or borrowing or the like, but, you know, she has she has campaigned on those kind of traditional conservative Thatcherite principles, at least. Uh, and on Brexit, regulation and trade, careful listeners will note that uh, Liz Truss was on the Cato Daily podcast a few years ago when she visited the Cato Institute. Um, where is she on those issues? Well, she actually interestingly campaigned as a Remainer. Uh, so uh, she was part of the official Remain campaign in 2016, but soon realized after the vote had happened that what was really important was that the country tried to make the best of it. And she thought the, you know, the, the optimal way to do that was to use the newfound freedoms that had been re the policy levers that had been re repatriated from Brussels uh, to try and liberate the UK economy as much as possible. As trade secretary, she um, she got the ball rolling on now ultimate agreements with Australia and New Zealand for uh, fairly extensive uh, free trade deals. Uh, she proposed, and I believe the UK is still in the process of um, applying to join the TPP, or at least the CPTPP, I think it's called uh, now in its new um, uh, iteration. And certainly, um, the way that she's been talking on the campaign, campaign trail is that she wants to diverge from the kind of Brussels precautionary model on lots of uh, regulation, whether that's of tech, whether it's of uh, GM foods, or a whole range of other kind of issues. She, she, she really does want to diverge in a more liberal direction. Well, and that doesn't uh, separate her necessarily from the bulk of the Brexiteers. No. Uh, weirdly, even though her op opponent in this contest, Rishi Sunak, campaigned for Brexit, he's been um, held up as a kind of uh, establishment uh, Remainer candidate. And uh, and Liz Truss has been backed by most of them, the more prominent Brexiteers from Lord Hannon through to Jacob Rees-Mogg and, and some others that your listeners may have heard of. She is inheriting a pretty dire situation in a lot of areas uh, in Great Britain, uh, probably the most pressing of which is energy prices in the coming three, four months. Yeah, it's extraordinary. If you look at the um, the UK has a very fairly complicated regulatory model around energy, but if you just look at the the, the kind of uh, price that an average family might expect to pay for energy bills, uh, it's gone up over the last few months and will go up uh, by 80%. So talking about maybe $2,200 a year up to $4,000 a year from October, and then projected to go much, much higher still um, after that. So it seems inevitable given how many families are going to kind of struggle uh, with that and businesses as well, that there'll be some sort of short-term government support package. But of course, we don't know how long this energy crunch is going to continue. And it's going to take uh, a fair amount of time to get new supply on board. Um, so uh, I think the government is going to have to be, her government is going to have to be very careful kind of not to overpromise that this kind of um, 
support will continue. And it'll be important to do it in a way, if they are going to you know, um, give households money, it'll be important to do it in a way that actually maintains the price signal because you want people to change behavior to a certain extent and you know invest in better insulation of their homes and kind of cut back on unnecessary uh, use you don't want to impose kind of price controls otherwise that could really distort um, a whole bunch of uh, activity in the economy what does a liz truss uh, government uh, what opportunities does that present for uh the United States of America in terms of liberalization of that relationship? Uh, Liz has always been um, very, very um, keen on a US-UK free trade deal. Um, it seems as if that's off the table to a certain extent at the moment, but mainly because the US side is under President Biden is is not particularly interested um, and has at least used the kind of excuse, I guess, of the uh, difficulties that that Britain has had um, with the EU over the Northern Ireland issue as a kind of precursor not to engage with the UK in extensive trade talks uh, right now. Um, Liz, when at least when I've spoken to her, has always been incredibly uh, keen on the US as a country. She thinks it's uh, incredibly entrepreneurial and dynamic, um, but I think she's fairly hard-headed about the US-UK relationship. Um, by all accounts, um, there was a Financial Times piece res uh, recently which uh, suggested that in a few meetings with senior US government officials, she kind of said, well, you know, we talk about this special relationship that we have as, uh, as two countries, but I don't see much evidence of it in the way that we're being treated with these particular tariffs in the past or the way that we're negotiating uh, this regulatory issue. So I think she's fairly hard-headed about the relationship. She certainly, um, she certainly uh, believes that the UK and US have significant shared interests, but uh, I, you know, I, I don't think she's under any illusions that um, there are many issues on which uh, on which, unfortunately, a kind of national interest preclude against, perceived national interest preclude against good kind of sound free market economics. What uh, on her agenda that, you know, you would you find agreeable with respect to economics is are going to be a hard sell to the rest of to parliament? There's a whole range of different regulatory issues, which in the past she's um, suggested are very important for UK uh, development or UK growth, should I say. Um, one that she's talked about is the need to liberalize the land use planning system, uh, which is incredibly constrictive, particularly around um, areas of the country that are most dynamic and productive. Um, that tends to be opposed by lots of conservative members of parliament <laughs> because uh, because it, reform would lead probably to significant house building in their constituencies. Um, so she's going to have to navigate that issue. And it might be that she has to take a much more kind of strategic, uh, fine-tuned fine approach than suggesting kind of blanket changes to, to planning laws. Um, there's the issue of, uh, uh, at the moment, there is no permitting in the UK for uh, fracking of natural gas, dis despite there being uh, a lot of natural gas supplies. Now, some of that is due to the fact that in the UK, you don't have property rights to everything below 
the ground that you own. Um, and I don't think that will change anytime soon. But it may well be if this energy crunch continues that the country perceives that um, they need to engage in, in fracking. Now, that will come with significant local opposition. So you've got to devise some sort of policy that shares the gains that incentivizes areas to be willing to accept that. So there's all sorts of small regulatory issues, which I think she would instinctively be a supply sider on that are going to be quite tough sells to some of her backbench MPs. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Please give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.